All right. For all of you who listen to Exit the Echoes and own an Android device, do us a favor. Go to the Google Play Store and download the Podcast Republic app. It's a fantastic app that allows you to get all of your favorite podcasts directly on your Android devices. We use the app and we love it, don't we, Ramos? That is a fact. Um, I'm an Android user um, compared to Justin, who is an iPod slave. <laughs> so yeah. uh, whenever he told me about this podcast, whenever I'm not uh, recording with him, I'm just a listener. So I use this app all the time to keep up with his stuff and you know, you know, stay current, stay up to date. And I put the app on my wife's phone so I could check it out. And it, it really is good compared to some of the other tr- apps that I've tried. So make sure to set Exit the Echoes as a favorite in the app so you don't miss any of the new episodes. And again, the name of the app is Podcast Republic, and it's available on Android devices. Do it. How's that? <laughs> Perfect. I like that. It was good. That works. Welcome to Exit the Echoes, everybody. So, not that we are really adhering to a specific schedule right now for releasing these episodes, but I do want to say that the reason for the time between this one and the last one was because my son Oliver was born. Oliver had spent the whole week in the hospital getting checkups and making sure he's okay, and then my wife was in there making sure that she was okay. So, there's the reason. And one morning, on my way back to the hospital after taking care of our dogs, I heard a song on Pandora. Now, my favorite type of music is metal. And early Christian metal is what I grew up on. So needless to say, I was thoroughly enjoying this. And in the song, there was a line that really caught my attention, which was something like, I won't rest until the serpent burns in hell. And that line got me thinking. We understand this feeling, don't we? This intense indignation and feeling justified in feeling this level of rage against whatever we deemed as evil. Some may even find this response to evil as noble, a noble response. We also understand one idea held by many, that we don't need Satan for evil to exist because we humans are evil enough, right? We've heard this before. We're familiar with this idea. Even if you staunchly believe in the idea of Satan as a standalone entity, you can empathize with how someone expressing this is feeling. Someone who's lost faith in humanity. Now, within these two mindsets, raging indignation and a despairing lack of faith in our fellow humans, one thing must come through to keep us grounded, and that's grace. And when we feel fully justified in our burning hate for what we've defined as evil, grace for the person that we've accused must abide in order for us to remember that we're all human. And when we fall into a complete lack of hope in the future of our race, Grace must swell to remind us we're all human and capable of overcoming. So, back to the song. The idea expressed in this song 
is not confined to metal tunes. We see it mirrored in many aspects of our daily lives, from how we see sin in our Sunday service to how we decide God's country, quote-unquote, would respond to attacks on our soil, right? The feeling of indignant hate masquerades as nobility in every room we're in. Now, this feeling does bring up some interesting questions, though, doesn't it? First, we're typically pretty comfortable with giving ourselves grace when we know we've messed up, and we're comfortable with the grace we give those that know that they've messed up. I guess the key there is that they know they messed up. I would argue that we're even comfortable with the grace we give God. Now, you heard me right, grace we give God. Because if we ascribe to the idea that God takes an active, participatory role in orchestrating our lives, sometimes we have to just trust that when things are going bad, God has a plan, right? Which means we have grace for the times that God is doing something we just don't understand, but we trust. So the question is, where do we decide to draw the line with grace? How much is too much? Because if our grace is big enough to encompass ourselves and to encompass the neighbors we can handle and big enough to encompass God, is it not big enough to encompass the source of the pain? The one credited with all the evil? The question is, do we have grace for Satan. Which leads me to the next question. Do we understand the Satan we're referring to? Because this idea of Satan as an entity to blame for all evil things, standing in opposition to God, doesn't even come into play until way down the road in the development of the Christian faith. And because of the foundation that the concept is built on, doesn't even agree with the conclusion, it could be argued that this idea of Satan is incorrect. The original imagery of Satan is actually an entity called the Satan, as in a role, not a name, who's part of God's counsel and is the accuser. He brings judgment against the accused in God's court. Do you see what this means? When we feel justified in our indignant rage, we're clearly drawing the line in the sand on grace. Secondly, we're living in a world where we don the robes of the accuser, bringing judgment against the accused. Maybe these people are right. Maybe we don't need a Satan. Humans are the Satan enough. Humans can be the Satan just fine on their own. So recently, I got a chance to sit down with my buddy Ramos, and we discussed these points a little bit more in depth. We hope you enjoyed the interview. subject that's kind of like it doesn't get asked a whole lot like you said that that the one line um where the hell did i put my notes do we have grace for satan that line like like reverberated in my head for like days on end because that's such a that's such a an intense question like and if it's it's difficult to try and have grace for satan even once you realize that the devil is a sinner just like the rest of us it's, it's, and you pray for sinners, you pray for your friends and family that are sinning, you know, and they need help and you know what, but even when you, um, when you 
realize the devil is just a sinner, just the greatest sinner, it's hard to bring yourself to pray for him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, so w- as far as a starting point goes, let's explain like your, your religious perspective, like where you're coming from with it. <clears throat> I got you. Um, I, I was born Catholic. Um, I was baptized as a baby. I went through my life not really like having that faith, having that religion. My grandparents weren't really into it. I mean, like my grandmother's Catholic, but she's kind of like what we call a Christmas Catholic. They show up on like Christmas and Easter and whatnot. No, my mom um, wasn't really into religion. She's kind of she's a Wiccan, and uh, really, I don't know. It's a uh, yeah. It's a uh, my mom's a Wiccan. My sister is like undetermined. I don't know. It, 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 we, I didn't really have that, uh, that, that Christian upbringing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, um, so as I became a young man, I felt like I needed to figure out what I believed in. And so I knew I was Catholic, but I didn't know what that meant really. I went to the Catholic church in uh, bullhead and I heard some good messages and whatnot. I'm a Catholic, but I researched a bunch of different stuff before I chose Catholic. I researched everything from Catholicism to Satanism. I decided on Catholicism because it felt right. It felt the one, it was the one that left like the best taste in my mouth. It made me feel comfortable, I guess, Um, which is weird because Catholics aren't comfortable ever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It feels, I don't know, it's going to sound weird, but it feels old. It feels like ritualistic. It feels like a traditional thing. And that for me left me closer to God in a way because it was, it felt like a tradition and it felt like um, there was a reason for like, you know, lighting the candles, praying the rosary beads, all that good stuff. Said that you knew you were Catholic. Where did the where did that inkling come from? Like uh, from- my grandmother. My grandmother, like I said, she's Catholic. Um, I was okay. raised basically by my grandparents, the real Catholic one. But like that woman was a saint. Well, she could have been a saint if she wasn't so fucking racist. <laughs> but um, <laughs> my grandma, whenever I told her I was like I want to start going to church, and she wasn't, she didn't want to go to church with me. If that makes like, it's not that she didn't want to go. It's just that. She went to fucking bingo. That was her church, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but she would, she was always tell me, like, the little things here and there and answer some questions and whatnot um, whenever I couldn't find it in the Bible or, um, like, I, what, I was afraid to ask a priest because there were certain questions you weren't supposed to ask a priest. Hmm. You know what I mean? In kind of like a, uh, a simplified version, I'm Catholic, but I'm, I'm a questioning Catholic. There's a lot of stuff that they say that I don't necessarily agree with but the for the for the most part i agree with the, the complete religion like for example um whenever the whole uh whenever um gay marriage became the law of the land in the united states my uh my priest uh that i was going to church and uh listening to every sunday he uh he made a statement saying that uh gay marriage is the law of the land um it is a union it is not a marriage to take that away from from a group that has fought so long to be equal and to still say, okay, well, you guys are going to get married, but it's not a real marriage. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't really vibe with me, you know, like that shit like that is, it just doesn't like, it doesn't mesh. And that's the Holy Catholic. That's, that's the Holy father. That's the Pope's view on it. It's a union. It's not a marriage. I disagree with the Pope. And that's a strange thing to say for a Catholic. That's, that's the big no, no, you know? Yeah. What, what do you, what are you, your thoughts about this, this feeling of indignation? Because the, I feel like it, it almost seems like indignation is almost fetishized in a sense, because it's, it's always okay to be indignant when you feel like you're in the right. So mm-hmm. what, what are your thoughts about that? I don't think there really is such a thing as a righteous indignation. Indign- indignation 
is so conflicting with what the Christian faith is supposed to teach. Everyone likes to quote, turn the other cheek. Very few of us actually do it. So the term righteous indignation goes exactly against that. To focus on your anger and like your annoyance for an unfair treatment for, for anything like that, it's, it's not what Christ wanted. It's not what was in his plan. Vengeance is not a thing, you know, like, yes, you can be angry. It's okay to be annoyed. It's impossible as a human being to like, if someone came up and punched me in the throat, I'd be fucking furious. You know, it's about how you handle that. It's about how you just, you can stand up and say, take a step back and go like, that was really literally for no reason. I can either beat the brakes off this dude, or I can just take a step back, accept the fact that this dude's probably a nutcase and then just remove myself from that situation, you know? The other viewpoint that was kind of addressed in there is that human beings don't really need a Satan or Satan to exist for evil to exist in the world because we're, we're shitty enough on our own. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about that? I'm of two minds in this. Um, this ultimately, for me, goes back to the question of um, are human beings inherently good or are human beings inherently evil? I'm going to ask you, what do you think? Are we inherently good or are we inherently evil? Oh, man. Personally, for me, I, th- I think it's both. I think it's just two sides of the same coin kind of thing. We have the capacity for both. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at in life right now. I don't think we necessarily need a Satan for evil because, like you said, human beings are so prone to terrible acts. But who is to say that that's not Satan's influence? Right. And that's a cop-out for a lot of Christians and for a lot of people saying, oh, the devil made me do it. We, I, I don't believe we are, I don't think we're evil. I think we're just stupid. I think we're ultimately just dumb. If you look at someone and say, hey, I need you to murder this baby, that person immediately is going to look at you like you're a fucking lunatic. Yeah. Uh, they'll, they'll take a step back and be shocked and like that hits a chord because one, that's a child. Two, you're killing, you're taking a life, you know? Yeah, that's that is evil. That is ultimately evil. I don't think we have the capacity for it as a species. I think there is some sort of influence there. Just so am I understanding you correctly, you're saying that there must be some kind of outside influence because the level of evil or wrongdoings that occur surpass what capacity like we could do on our own. Yes, exactly. Look, I mean, look at Hitler. I love the subject of Hitler because he was a brilliant speaker. He was a brilliant mind. I have a copy of Mein Kampf on my library shelf right now. If you read what he writes, it, it, makes, me, it makes me laugh. One, because this is going to get kind of off topic. I'm sorry. He, he, write, he starts off this book and he starts um, basically the first paragraph is just like, I started my life in a small village and this town and you know, I was raised by, I was fortunate enough to be raised here. And I was like, oh, wow, interesting. Hitler's kind of a down-to-earth guy. And then the second paragraph, he's like, German Austria must be restored back to what it once was. I'm like, holy (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) We're going to take a step back there, Uncle Addy. 60. (laughs) So intense. (laughs) Like, if you look at Hitler, he was a brilliant speaker. He was a brilliant mind. I don't think there was anything necessarily wrong with Hitler in his brain, you know? He Mm, just had been through so much. Abnormalities. Yeah, there was no real... He wasn't... I mean... Debatable. I don't think he was a an actual diagnosed psychopath. Uh, I don't think he was an actual diagnosed sociopath. I think that there must have been something that happened, something that that whispered in his ear that said, "You can create a paradise if you just eliminate this group of people. You can create your own version of Eden. You're a god of a man." Because he did. He thought of himself as as greater. He thought he he crowned himself Fuhrer and 
then just went with it until it became a reality. That's crazy. Like there's videos of him like like flirting with his wife, being playful with his wife. That's not the look of an evil man. Mm-hmm. That's just a man. And it wasn't, I don't know, man. It's I don't think human beings are necessarily evil. They just have the capacity for 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 bad things. If you look back in the Bible, we don't learn as a species <laughs> the story of the golden calf everyone most people know that story do you know that story yeah well to remind the viewers if they're not familiar with it when moses came, went up to the uh to the mountain to get the ten commandments everyone was freaking out because they're like well god has abandoned us well what are we gonna do and they're like melt down all the gold and make a golden calf and we're gonna worship that in the name of Baal. moses came down and was like are you kidding me and smashed <laughs> tablets and was like destroy it i gotta destroy. go get new tablets because you guys filled me with rage it's gone I for got- five minutes yeah, I was gone for five minutes, and you guys wreck my, like, get out. So he goes back up and brings back the tablets, gets Ten Commandments going, all that good stuff. And then not many people, like, that have, haven't read the Bible know that there was multiple golden calves throughout the years. It wasn't like a, a generation after generation after generation saying, huh, we should build a golden calves. Oh, there's no history of a golden calf? There was clearly a history of it because these people lived till like, 120. Yeah. And old Uncle Tom was sitting there like, hey – I remember when we did that and uh, we were told no, but they still did it. They did it like three or four times. They built yeah. a golden calf and like some, like either God himself or like some judge that God had appointed was like, are you fucking kidding me? Stop. <laughs> like, Just stop this. No, we didn't, we didn't learn from that. And we right, still, right. still like in a way to this day, we still have our golden calves. We still have our uh, celebrities. Mm-hmm. And in reality, there's, they're no different than us. We worship man-made gods. Would it be fair to say then that our obsession, I would call it an obsession with righteous indignation or being justified in our anger would be another one of those golden calves that we keep substituting for essentially like owning up to what one could consider what the Bible's saying to be doing. Yeah, I believe. I believe that uh, wholeheartedly. We're just dumb, man. We're just dumb. That's really what it comes down to. Um, we don't, we don't learn. We don't listen. The whole righteous indignation, like I said, it goes against what God teaches. Even like a, a good church going person, uh, air quotes involved, um, can be a hypocrite and just like have nothing but quote unquote righteous fury. Right. And that's not what God wanted. Like God himself is the only one who can have righteous fury. And even in the New Testament, Jesus was like, hey, we're not about that life anymore. I think you guys have learned and grown up enough to the point where we don't have to punish you anymore. Yeah. We'll be okay. And Jesus was a man of peace, you know? Right. It's like we haven't learned that keeping the cycle of violence going doesn't turn into progression. What do you think about the idea that when it feels like to us that God's not involved in what's happening or not hearing us, that we have to have grace for God when he's quiet? I don't think it's ever really necessary to have grace for God because in reality, God is never quiet. I, uh, I was struggling to get back to God because I, I had fallen away. I wasn't speaking. I wasn't praying. Prayer is something that I have an issue with um, because I can't, I can't really put my problems in God's hands. I want to take care of it on my own. I wasn't praying anymore. I wasn't trying to talk to God and I was falling away from God and I was falling away from the faith. And uh, I was worried. So I went to church one day and um, I can't take communion because I'm not confirmed as a Catholic. I'm sitting there. Everyone's going up to take communion. I'm sitting in the church pew and I'm praying and I'm praying as hard as I can. And this was 
the first time that I ever felt God actually there and listening and talking to me. I started crying and just lost my mind. I prayed harder. I kept talking to him. It was as if he was right there listening to all my problems. It was so intense that I was like, oh my God, this is actually you. This is actually you physically there. Oh my God. The, the priest spoke up and it ruined it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I like, I opened my eyes and I was, I was alone again. And I was so concerned. After that experience, I learned that, because um, I, I started praying more after that. And I learned that uh, prayer isn't, isn't the way to talk to God. God is, it's our way of, 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 of listening. He, uh, he's always talking to us. He's constantly giving us our answers to our prayers, even if we're not praying necessarily to him or asking him for help. So there is no absence of God. You don't need to give grace to God um, in his absence because he's always there. Um, prayer, it literally just opens you up to look for an answer. Like if you, for example, um, I'm, I'm testing for, um, for a promotion. I've been studying and everything. Now I can, I can handle that all on my own and say, look, I'm going to study. I'm going to take care of all this. And then I will take my test and hopefully I'll be able to just, you know, get that bump up and get that, that new stripe, you know? If I pray about it, and say, God, will you please give me like the focus to actually just hit these books hard? Will you please just like give me a sign that, that I can I can make it and then I'll that, that I'll pass this test and I'll be able to just get that new strike. At that point, I'm looking for an answer because I'm like, okay, well, is God gonna answer my prayer? I wake up every morning and say, Is God gonna answer my prayer? Is God gonna answer my prayer? And then I can look at something that I would not have noticed had I just been able to take care of this myself, like my internet going down. All right. I'm I'm easily distracted. I could come home immediately and start hitting the books. But now what I do is I go home, watch a couple episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and watch some YouTube videos. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess it's time to study. Go in my office and I study. But if I come home and my internet's down and I've prayed about it, I, I come in and go, okay, all right. I guess I got to hit the books, I guess. Let me open up an actual physical book since there's nothing else to do in my house. And I think, all right. I got your message loud and clear, God. But if I didn't pray about it, I wasn't looking for God's answer. I was just like, well, my internet's fucking down. I guess I'll just cry yeah, and be yeah. sad. <laughs> so it's just, it's, an, it's a way for us to open up. We're looking for an answer. And God is literally always giving us an answer. Where it's that, that the internet being down, it was God's way of saying, hey, I got your back, but me not listening if I didn't pray to him, you know? So it's more like praying isn't so much a like a out loud verbal communication to God as much as it is like giving voice for your own benefit to what's inside you. Yeah. You in um, a position to be watching. That makes sense. Um, exactly. Your spirit is restless. So it calls out to its creator. It's the one that starts looking for an answer. That makes, that makes a pretty good amount of sense. Yeah. So it's just putting you in a position to be mindful and watching for those kinds of things our, our i believe that our spirit and our brains are uh, two separate entities completely um and they don't necessarily communicate very well and the the way you put it it makes it sound like the the spirit is looking out for the actual brain itself yeah it's it's it's, it's looking to to empower your own life and whatnot i feel like commonly the assumption is whenever satan is being discussed we're, th we're like thinking of individual entity that's in opposition to God. But the, that concept of Satan doesn't really show up until like way later on after rewrites, actually. But the initial idea is the Satan as in like a title, not so mm -hmm. much an individual entity. The adversary. Right. 
but an adversary that's part of God's counsel in the first place. So what does that what does that say to how we relate to struggles that we would pin on Satan? People are so quick to say, oh, the devil made me do it, when in reality, the devil doesn't really make you do anything, in my opinion. He just he he shows you what could be, and then he appeals to your greedy nature, your lustful nature, your your sinful nature. It's up to you as a human being to do, to to make that choice to be a sinner. We really can't. This might be going contradicting myself uh, from what I said earlier, but we really can't blame the devil for anything. It is ultimately our actions. It's just we chose to listen to the wrong voice. Um, you have God's voice and you have Satan's voice. As far as him being a part of God's counsel, that's accurate. I mean, if you look at history, I mean, everyone nowadays likes to uh, pretend to be the, the religious expert. I'm in no way an expert. Um, I just want to put that out there. I haven't, yeah, I mean, we should clarify that we're yeah, not. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't say that in the beginning. I should have, I should have clarified. I'm, the, I'm, in, I'm just a dude. <laughs> um, Right. Um, and we should say our podcast, because for the listener's sake, this is Ramos. We didn't even introduce you <laughs> or say your name. It's all good. <laughs> How would you introduce you know, yourself? Um, because he's going to be a regular installation on all your all all the episodes. So yeah, whenever I whenever I can get a chance to pry myself away from the insanity that's military life, I'll be able to. <laughs> be able to join in. I'm Ramos. Nice to meet you guys. Like I said, I'm just a dude. I research for myself and you know, that's what makes me vibe with this podcast. But going back on topic, uh, we can't really blame uh, Satan for anything. It is ultimately our choice. He does serve a purpose. There's a balance that needs to be maintained in the universe. There's a balance that needs, needs to be maintained in the soul. And in a way, I think he sorts out the, the good and bad eggs to simplify it. You know, he's yeah. playing his part. God needs to know who's who are the true followers of his word. And Satan kind of helps him figure that out, you know, and any of the, any of the rest that don't follow the word of God truly and wholeheartedly, those are his now. So Satan kind of gets something out of it, you know. It's a sorting it's a sort we're, we're all being sorted into two categories and that might seem unfair but it's what needs to happen. Mm. Well, let me present this idea to you then. The more energy you give an idea that's stuck in your head the the bigger it becomes if you're on a diet and you're not you're trying to not eat whatever food you're addicted to that you shouldn't be eating the more you think about how much that food will be a problem how much you can't have it the worse it becomes and the less likely you are to be able to avoid it right you're giving it all this brain space if we're considering the way things are is that we are us with the propensity to move towards good or towards evil, and we have these two voices or these two compelling forces and that we either adhere or choose to not adhere to, does that mean then that a church's or a group, a Christian group's focus on battling against evil or against Satan is kind of not only a wasted effort, but a self-defeating effort, because if these are these two voices that we we choose whether to listen to or not listen to, mm. you're putting a whole lot of effort and brain space and energy into these ideas that you're battling against, making them bigger, you know, making them mountains out of what might even be a molehill. Mm -hmm. Isn't the solution then to be at peace with the left hand and the right and the good and the bad 
in order to like effectively navigate? Yes and no. Um, we ultimately are all sinners in, in the Christian faith. We are all sinners. We are all tainted. It's a matter of trying to be the best we can. Uh, it's interesting that I associate left with evil. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> That's a whole other episode. Huh? <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me collect myself. Um, if you listen to uh, Satan on, on, on one shoulder yeah. and then uh, you have God on the, on the, on the other shoulder, you have, you have that balance, right? But ultimately you are a sinner. Um, you are, you were born and you're prone to sin. We aren't, we don't learn from our own mis- our mistakes. The sins of the father will not be inherited by the son. Neither will the knowledge. If that was the case, then we would all be fine by now. That's not the case. We, uh, we do fight with those two voices and you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. It does prevent some sort of inner peace. If you just accept the fact that, uh, you know, I am, I have the capacity for good and evil. I have the ability to great things or terrible things i choose to i choose to be at peace with that but i'm going to be the best person i can you you we're, we're all striving toward that balance in my opinion but the problem is if you let yourself go uh into satan's voice and you just accept that as like oh well that's just a part of me. that's just who i am you become a real asshole i'm just mean to my girlfriends that's just who i am as a person i've got no patience no you're a dick like yeah. So, I mean, like, it's just like, you're so, if you just become accepting of like, oh, well, Satan's a part of me, like that's, that's dangerous. That's very dangerous because we already are leaning toward the fact that we're sinners. And it's just so easy to tip that scale because that's the easier path in in, in reality um, to choose righteousness over, over sin is, is difficult. I would love to just, I'm, I mean, whenever I'm struggling for money or whatever, and like, I need to save up money for a plane ticket or save up money for whatever. I'm like, well, I could go rob people. That's honestly, <laughs> that's honestly a thought that goes through my brain, but it's a matter of letting that thought sit in your mind and go do it. Yeah. But the rational part of my brain, the, the, the good part of my brain says, Hey, don't, don't rob people. You idiot. Yeah. Like, that's kind of, that's kind of terrible. It's kind of like I, uh, in an audio book I'm listening to where you're, you're, they say your thoughts contain information, not directives. Your propensity is information. It's not what you have to do. Yeah, that's very true. I like that quote. Um, it's just it's you have to make the choice to try and be better. You can accept the fact that you, um, you have these flaws. You don't need to accept the fact that you beat your wife. Like That's not, that's not a yeah. thing you need to just roll over and accept. Because acceptance in that way is actually just resignation because you're, mm-hmm. you're giving up your agency. The last thing you should do is give up your agency in resignation to your own urges. I agree in a way. Um, yes, we are the issue. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what my, 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 my mind frame comes down to is, you know, like maybe the problems with you, like Joe Rogan said in a stand-up special, some heckler was like, life can kind of suck sometimes. He's like, yeah, life can kind of suck sometimes. Maybe the maybe it's how you're living it, bitch. <laughs> that like that that statement is so true though. Like, life doesn't suck. It's how you it's how you perceive it. Perceive it exactly, and that's that can be the said the same thing with our uh, our sin and our grace, um, our God and our Satan. It's it's you against you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have a physical uh, God that we can look at and say. You're the problem. You caused this. 
we don't have a physical Satan that we can look at and say, you're the reason I did this. Why would you make me do that? And you can't f- actually fist fight these dudes, you know? It really is. Ultimately, it's you against yourself. And it's all about finding that balance. Like we said earlier, God is found in you. We are his children. But that's also, it's not, it's not for me, it's not God that, that, that puts that into perspective. It's the fact that I look at my mistakes and say, I don't want that anymore. And then it becomes, then, and then it becomes God is helping me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and Catholics would say that's wrong. Catholics would say, no, God is giving you the grace. No matter what, you need to recognize the fact that that's God giving you um, the, the ability to stop yourself from being that person, no matter what. That's where I differ from regular Catholics because I say, no, that's, that's me. And I realize that God helps later on. Yeah. Um, God gave me the power to recognize it. He didn't physically say, well, I got you, bud. You know, it's right, right. different. It really is about finding the grace and sin in, sin in yourself and then weighing it, trying to balance it out and deciding which sins you can live with and which sins you shouldn't, you know? Yeah. So it seems like we, it, the conclusion is kind of similar within and without the a religious context because on either side of it, you're, we're saying coming to peace with that push and pull within yourself is, is the way forward. Absolutely. Um, I have um, a lot of atheist friends and a lot of agnostic friends. They, um, they, they're, they love, the thing they love to tell me, um, I don't need God to be a good person. Mm-hmm. Well, and you don't need Satan to be a bad one. Kind of like what we were saying. Exactly. And um, although I tend to disagree, you really, as a human being, don't necessarily need God to be a good person. You don't, you don't as a human being, you can, you can choose to be a good person. Yeah. But it's God that's pushing that whether without your, your knowledge of him being there, he works behind the scenes and he, he, you can only hear him if you listen, whether you're an atheist an agnostic, whatever, he's constantly helping you. You just, I don't need God to be a good person. You're donating charity. Why? What makes you want to do that? Because it's the right thing to do. Who's determined it's the right thing to do. Love thy neighbor. That's what it comes down to. Why do you feel the need to love your neighbor? Because God said so. And it, it, if, you just, if you just trace back these things, it's always a hidden thing that God is pushing, you know? Hmm. It's, you don't need necessarily to give God a name to be a good person. It's, it's, it's yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> whenever, they, whenever they speak that. So what does this mean for how we move through the world? That is for each of us to decide for ourselves. Don't let anybody tell you that they know the only truth and that you have to pick theirs to be correct. And I'm not going to add to the noise telling you that this truth is the truest truth. But let me explain what I think. I think that the fact that so many aspects of the entities described in our religious texts appear within us already shows us that the nature of things is more like a fairy tale rather than explicit entities that we must interact with. It's kind of like in the Bhagavad Gita, how it talks about human emotions through myth. It gives human tendencies 
that are within us mortal bodies, right? It describes them as entities. So perhaps it's that God is found in us, but in all of us and in everything. All of us, all the way down to the blades of grass. Perhaps we should think through to our furthest conclusions the next time we want to see the serpent burn. My hope is that we can find a way to see ourselves in everything, and everything in ourselves. So settle in, welcome home. This universe produced you just like it produces apples and rain. You are exactly where you're supposed to be. Welcome home.